So on Monday, I went on a kind of pilgrimage. Um, I was going, uh, uh, going for the work uh, to Guildford, and I thought I would take a little detour and go on a kind of... Uh, sort of journey uh, through the past. I went to the housing estate of Belfields, uh, which if you know anything is a sort of a, can be got a bit of a sink estate um, in Guildford and um, I sort of uh, navigated my way around and, it, and it's interesting how memory kicks in uh, and uh, suddenly I found myself down some well-trodden paths and um, I finally uh, got to this particular house uh, the paint was peeling on the outside. The lawn was poorly attended to. Um, there was a sort of uh, wrecked canoe in the garden um, and the driveway was all broken up to most people. And in fact, in fact probably to 99.9% .9 of the population, it was an unremarkable house. It's kind of marginal on the edges of things. It's uh, neglected and, and probably even uh, forgotten. It's uh, down a cul-de-sac and you wouldn't go down there uh, uh, for any other purpose. But for me, it held some good memories. It's where my mum grew up I think she, uh, until she got married. That's where she lived all her life. Um, it's where I met my cousins for the first time and, and got to play with them. Um, and we get to throw each other in into the uh, uh, Way Canal. Um, and it's where my maternal parent, uh, grandparents uh, lived their entire married life. Uh, Bill and uh, um, his wife lived there um, all their married life and they loved Jesus and they went to a local Elim church. So in some ways I'm third generation Elim Pentecostal. Uh, Christian and there's something sublime about looking back into your family into your family history if it's positive but for others of us we don't have that association with our lineage we don't have that association with our family or our family tree when we start to talk about tracing roots we start to feel uncomfortable for many of us there's no evidence in our uh, family tree of any faith at all. We can't seem to con trace God's grace through it. Sometimes that tree is broken up. There are family feuds and there are separations and there are divorces that seem to take something that should be a sense of pride and identity into something that is uh, disruptive and unhelpful and even brings a certain degree of sadness. If that's you, if you feel disconnected with your family, if you feel shunned by your relatives, and maybe even if you feel a sense of loneliness because you, perhaps uh, those around you have, have passed away and, and, you, and you feel more of a, an isolated island, this morning is just a moment of relief. Because we're going to look at the Old Testament prophet Haggai. He has a book named after him and he's uh, firmly in that song we sing at Fidget Church of all the books of the Bible. But what is striking and what is remarkable about the very beginning of it is that there's absolutely no reference to his parents or his family or his lineage. 
You often find it with these biblical characters. You know who their parents are. In fact, it's a source of pride, you know, that they're descended from him. And uh, Isaiah and Daniel were descended from nobility. They were royalty. They, uh, uh, they knew what it was to be in power. And Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they were, uh, uh, had priestly backgrounds. You know, they had, they had family who were dedicated to serving God in the, in the, in the temple and, um, uh, and in the tabernacle. And there was a sense of, I'm qualified to do this because of where I've come from. But Haggai has no qualifications whatsoever. We don't know where he came from. We don't know who his parents were. The fact that they are men- not mentioned uh, perhaps signifies that they were not remarkable in any way, not helpful to the calling God put on his life. But God raises up Haggai without any credentials, any qualifications, and Haggai is used to change the course of a nation. Um, It says this in uh, John chapter uh, 14. You can keep your your fingers in Haggai and, and stay there, or you can turn with me to John chapter 14, and it says this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. How will we see Jesus? It says, Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realise that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me uh, will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And so we have this instructions of Jesus. And Jesus says, Everyone who trusts in him will get the Holy Spirit. Everyone who believes in him has resident in him this Holy Spirit. And we suddenly have identity. And we suddenly have a clarification of who we are and who our Heavenly Father is. And just as God does with Haggai, the Holy Spirit qualifies us for his purposes. We don't need lineage, we don't need family, we don't need long descendants, we don't need grandparents that went to the Elam Pentecostal in Guildford. The Holy Spirit is enough. And if the Spirit lives within us, the deeds will prove our our family likeness. If the Holy Spirit is in us, um, what we do day to day will prove who we're like. We will bear our Father's likeness by our actions. And so they've said, instead of mumbling and stuttering in fear, we can be confidently generous to our neighbours. Don't have to worry about the impact because we're children of God. We can be forgiving to family. We don't have to be mean with our forgiveness. We don't have to be stingy with how we behave to others because we are loved by God. We can be patient at work and even in life in general because our destiny is eternity. 
everything changes when the Holy Spirit comes in us and our way of seeing things changes and the motivations behind our actions change as well and we can be bold in our evangelism we can be confident when we talk to others about Jesus they may not respond how we imagine they should they not, uh, may not instantly confess Jesus as Lord but our identity is secure our Father is in heaven Jesus is exalted to the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit was in and this gives us a degree of confidence that cannot be bought and as we act out our family likeness the father spirit and son make their presence known in our lives we were singing about it earlier we were longing for it in these songs we want their love and devotion and affection to be known in our hearts we want to experience the love of God and Jesus promises it and the songs we were singing uh, encourages to call us to call out for it and it is a should be a fact that if you're sat in this room and Jesus is your savior it's something that you've known Sometimes it's like a tide and it's high and you feel it and you are full of beans and sometimes it's low and you wonder uh, where he is, but he's always there and he's always close. And so regardless of who our family is, regardless of what our family tree looks like, our identity is assured. No enemy or ignorant friend can dissuade us from the fact of who we are. And if we feel, because of our heritage, because of our family, because of our upbringing, because of our education, that uh, that somehow disqualifies us, there is this reassurance that God especially likes elevating unqualified nobodies and using them to change the world he has done it with Haggai and we're going to read his words in a minute um, there's this great quote from Martin Luther the uh, German reformer he said God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick and he's doing that with Haggai and he does that with us and so hopefully uh, as well, I've laid an emphasis on story uh, in Scripture that, that you know something of Israel's passage um, in and out of the Promised Land. Hopefully, you know sort of bro Moses brought Israel to the to the brink of coming into the Promised Land, and then and then Joshua saw uh, Israel conquer Canaan and, and put down roots, and and David saw that uh, uh, saw that sort of uh, solidify and, and become permanent as as Israel became established in that place and then there's that uh, uh, apathy and uh, people start to move away from God and go to other gods and perhaps treat God with a sense of nonchalance and we find during Jeremiah's time that Israel loses its uh, birthright it goes into exile it goes into Babylon and we know the story of uh, people like Daniel who sort of struggle to uh, retain their Jewish identity in uh, Babylon and then Persia invades Babylon and Israel goes to get back home 
For 70 years, these people had lived in Babylon and they'd mourned the loss of their divine privilege, of, uh, of their location um, in Canaan. And finally, after 70 years of being in exile, uh, the king of Persia allows them to go home. Suddenly, they can praise God with a degree of freedom and autonomy that they had not known for 70 years. And I wonder if you can imagine the combination of joy and sweat of those Israelites as they went back to the uh, uh, promised land. There's that sense of hassle and that sense of joy. It's the sort of thing that campers get when they go to camp easy peasy, how great it is to be back. But then there's all the hassle of setting up and uh, uh, putting everything in place. And the prophet Haggai now speaks to these exiles who've returned to the promised land. If you've got a Bible, turn to the book of Haggai. It's one of the uh, minor prophets. Um, minor because it's small content, not because he's uh, not worth listening to. Um, and so it says this in Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius... Um, who's the Persian king, on the uh, first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Do you see? Haggai's lineage isn't noticed, but Zerubbabel and Joshua's is. Just accentuates Haggai's uh, sort of uh, identity. And then verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house, and he's talking about the temple, remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Because the Lord, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, um, on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, and just to rub it in, son of Shetiel, Joshua, again, to make accentuate it, son of Josadak, the high priest and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. 
And so the Israelites, they came back to the promised land after their 70 years of exile and they started rebuilding their homes. They started rebuilding their workspaces. They started rebuilding farms and, and, and towns and cities and marketplaces and all the other things that it is good to have to have a vibrant society. Some efforts had gone into be building the temple. But what you had is these two groups that you always have. You have a group saying, you know what, let's just do this. Let, let's build it uh, with the minimum of effort and just get it built. And others are saying, let's make it better than ever and make it build it higher and more opulent than we could uh, ever imagine. And these groups started fighting and in the end, the building of the temple uh, stopped. And this went on for 18 years. And God says, I need to bash them heads together. And so he gets this nobody. We don't know where he came from, who his parents were, but he gets Haggai to pronounce this challenge to the people. Is it time for you to only look after yourselves? Is it time for you only to think about yourself? Housing, family life, work and security they're all important they're all part of our daily lives and uh, they are all healthy to a certain extent but they were never it, uh, in the life of these Israelites coming home to be enjoyed at the exclusion of religious activity in 520 BC when Haggai spoke out the temple of the Lord was supposed to be the center of devotional life. It was supposed to be the center of sacrifices and ceremonies and celebrations and festivals and priests. It was supposed to be a hub of activity as the, as the Israelites remembered the God that was faithful in bringing them back to the place that he'd promised them. And if they'd done this, the Hebrews would have found in that temple that thick reek rich deep presence of God his pleasure would have been noticed and there would have been worship and joy and respect and holiness and honor and all these qualities that we associate with God and all these qualities uh, that sometimes we can pick up in our own worship here and the Israelites needed to take time out from their busyness even though it was legitimate, even though it was good activity, and they needed to put time, sweat, and work into the recognition of the one who'd brought them into this land in the first place. And the Jews, thankfully, they heard this nobody's challenge, Haggai's words, and the leaders changed direction. And so the construction of the temple began and suddenly the uh, devotional, religious, spiritual life of this nation was rekindled. Now since the arrival of the Messiah Jesus, the temple of Jerusalem has receded. It's not important to us. Put your hands up if you've ever uh, been to uh, the Jewish temple. It's not important. <laughs> Christians, uh, Christians don't need to go to a temple to worship God. We don't need to even go to any particular building. This building is identified as the Church of England, as something uh, 
important. But we've met in a couple of schools. We've met in the community centre. We've met uh, in the kids' nursery. Buildings are not important to Christians. Let me read something. Uh, if you've got a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I read a little from this uh, at the beginning of the meeting. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, and this is Paul speaking to the Christians in Ephesus. And it says this. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and uh, members of his house. Verse 20. Built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets. So that's uh, kind of our scriptures. With Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Just as Haggai called all the Hebrews to come and participate in the temple of God, Christians today have a job to do to become the temple of God. We have a uh, job to do. We have our part to play. Believers, all of us, need to be reminded that however pressing our daily responsibilities are, and let me tell you, they will never come unpressing. All of us live with a degree of stress and anxiety about all the things that need to be done. That was no less true in Haggai's time as the first century as is today. But the truth is that we have a responsibility to participate in church. We have a responsibility to play our part. Jesus died for the people in this room. He died for the world, but he died for the people in this room. He died for you and the person next to you. He thought them valuable. And the question is, do we give our time out to them stingily or do we lavish it? Do we think church is slightly important or very important? Is it something that gets the leftovers of our energy and our time and our effort or does it get the first fruits? Others of us must see that no matter how tired and weak we are, and some of us are more tired than others, we're privileged to be in this place and bless others with our efforts, with our energy. When we gather together to pay attention to each other, to listen to each other, to serve one another. And we participate in this place, not just by lending our, uh, lending our voices to worship and not just by looking interested when I preach and not just by sharing tea and coffee together, but coming with our gifts. Each of us has a gift from God and some of us have more than one gift from God and we are honour bound to serve one another with those things 
We are honour-bound to volunteer and even start new ministries. This is a place of service. And we are to make sure that what we do with our money has the same priorities. God doesn't need your money. And this church, this congregation is in the privileged position that we're not in debt, that there are many generous people who enable us to keep paying uh, our rent and uh, uh, my wage and uh, the resources for Sunday school and for the, the, uh, the costs of Camp Easy Peasy. But there needs to be a challenge to all of us. Do we give to this congregation? Because often what we do with our money is the most loudest uh, illustration of where our hearts are. Do you give regularly here? For most people, that looks like a direct debit. Have you got one set up? And is it going in? God doesn't need your money. Our church is doing really well. So we're not, need, we're not in that position where we're begging. But it is alongside the energy and time that we need to devote to this place. Um, I'm going to read out something that uh, is possibly the most ruthless reflection on church that I ever read. This is, um, yeah, I, when I read this sort of 20 years ago, I was really challenged by it, and it's always in the back of my mind when I think of what church should look like. Um, I think sometimes we think church should look like what other 21st century churches look like, and I don't necessarily think that's true. And this is... Uh, one of the reasons we have our primitive church because I think sometimes we forget what we should be about. Um, and so it says, uh, this is uh, Paul's idea of community by an Australian author, and he says this, one of the most puzzling features of Paul's understanding of church for those around him in the first century must have been his failure to say that a person went to church to worship. Not once in all Paul's writings does Paul suggest this is the case. The spiritual or rational worship that Christians are called upon to make requires them to offer their whole selves bodies included, to God as a living sacrifice. There's lots of Greek in here, I'm, I'm sparing you. Um, but uh, we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God, dedicated and acceptable to him. In practice, this means behaving in such a way that all our actions are determined by God's will which is by definition good and perfect, rather than by the characteristics of the times in which we live. Worship involves the whole of one's life, every word and action, and knows no special place or time. The purpose of church is the growth 
and edification of its members into Christ and into a common life through God-given ministry to one another. If you're thinking it's about singing, you are wrong. Paul doesn't say that that is what church is about. And I always find that a little unnerving because it's what we like to do in church. And then he goes on. This means that the focal point of reference for Paul's communities, that's church, is neither, I don't like this, but this is what he says and I find it provocative and uh, an invitation to think over what church is about. The focal point is neither a book nor a rite, neither a code nor a cult, but church is about relationships. God primarily communicates to believers not through the written word and tradition or mystical experience and cultic activity, but through one another. Fellowship is not altogether lacking in these other groups and the Old Testament scriptures and various corporate activities are represented in churches. But the real difference for Paul, for church, lies at the heart of the gatherings together. And then he, end, he ends this chapter like this. Paul's approach is revolutionary in the ancient world. In the view of subsequent developments in which Catholicism followed the path of cults, sorry Catholics, in making a right the centre of its activities, and Protestantism, Protestantism uh, which is us, followed the path of the synagogue in placing a book at the centre of its services. It would be true to say that in most respects it remains no less revolutionary today. The Bible and communion are fundamental to what takes place in church, but church should, not be, uh, should be reduced to the Bible or to sacrament. There is more to the Spirit's presence and work than this. And Banks goes on and on about us relating together to being the key difference of what makes us different to every other cult and religion out there is that we are relating to each other and we uh, hear God in each other's behaviour. Last thing to say. It is good to use the language of the temple and apply it to church. Paul does it very happily. Um, and it is appropriate to believe in the blessings too. You know, the people of God will, uh, uh, in Haggai's time, build the temple and he would, God would bless them, respectively. Um, and by exercising faith in attending to God, rather than their everyday chores, God would bless them. So when they took a day apart from all the things that were weighing down them and said, God, you are worthy of me suspending all these other responsibilities and to be worshipped, that God would bless them. And the blessings 
uh, in Haggai's time were rain, harvests, vintage wine, and tasty olive oil, and they would be more abundant. God says, I've withheld them because you haven't given me my due. And to some measure, there are promises and blessings if we're attentive to God's earthly temple. That's us here today. If you've got a Bible, turn to the last passage um, of this morning, Acts chapter 4. Very familiar passage if you've been with this church for any length of time at all. It's often one that we go back to for the rationale of why we exist. Uh, Acts chapter 4 verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When the church heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, uh, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people uh, of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will decided beforehand should happen. It's a great way of seeing evil. What happened is what God's power allowed. Now, Lord, consider your threats, consider their threats, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to deal, to heal, and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. And then what does that look like? And it goes on. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Can you hear the importance of community in the first century? This is what it means to be church. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Say everything. Everything Everything they had. I wonder how that's going for you. How are you sharing everything with us this morning? With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, not just the leaders, but every single component of that church knew God's power. Um, There was no needy person among them. From time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them Wouldn't it be nice to own land and houses? What great uh, benefactors that would be. Uh, From time to time, those who owned land or houses, those were gifted with wealth, they sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. Um, No direct debits and bank accounts in those days. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Can you see that sense of community, that sense of of relationship, that sense of the difference of church to every other cult and sect was this interfacing constantly of the people of God saying you are important. 
And so despite having all the pressures of their daily lives, these believers come together to pray after Peter and John are released from prison. And what do they do? They speak out loud, they recite scripture, they elevate Jesus, and they long for the advancement of the gospel. And it is a very compelling picture as they press in for God to do something amongst them. And the, the response is unequivocal. God thunders into the room, they are filled with the Holy Spirit uh, again, and then they speak the word of God boldly. They explain to their neighbours and friends and their enemies that Jesus is the Son of God and their Saviour. What a glorious, exciting and scary experience that must have been to behold. In the light of that miracle, the community, the prayer and the revival, the believers go out confident and brave. And and the story of Acts is full of their passage out from this prayer room into the wider community to see uh, uh, Jerusalem change. And in the end, the whole world If you know anything about healthy relationships in your own life, you'll know the more time you invest in it, the healthier it gets. The same is true with our relationship with God. The more we invest in our relationship with God and with relationship with his people, the more we will know his closeness with him and with each other and we will know his guidance too. Do not be surprised if church, religion, and the Bible is a chore if you don't put the time into it. Don't be surprised if reading your Bible and uh, attending worship meetings uh, and meeting with Christians is hard work if you don't put the time, effort, and heart into it. If this is not important to you, it will be boring, stale. What am I going to do, Kevin? How can I help myself? Let me tell you how you can help yourself. On Friday, we've got a prayer meeting. It's for five hours. It's not easy. Um, If I didn't have other leaders around me, I probably wouldn't propose it because five hours is a long time to pray, especially uh, with Christians in our living room. But we're going to do it. We're going to come together and pray from seven till midnight in our house. It is a chance to forget all the things that we have to do. All the housework that will never get finished. All the uh, gardening that will never end. All the uh, other things that need to be sorted out. It's a chance to forget that and come together for prayer. We're going to worship God. We're going to sing. Tim's going to bring his guitar, we're going to have some bread and we're going to have some uh, alcoholic wine, we're going to chat, we're going to pray, we're going to pray about important things, everything from the orphans that we support in Haiti to the missionaries we support in uh, Macedonia and uh, Zambia. Uh, We're going to lift up international situations that cause us grief. We're going to pray for our leaders. We're going to pray for the people that are not doing well around us. We're going to pray for uh, the people in our family, in our friendship groups who don't know Jesus. And we're going to come together and we're going to lift up these issues together. And when someone prays, the rest of us are going to say that famous word, Amen.
We're going to say, Amen. I want that to happen too. God, listen to our cry. God, so be it. We may not experience delicious Pentecost revival. We long to, we hope to, and sometimes we get uh, moments of it. But whether we do or not, we will be doing this because it is a good discipline and it shows where our heart is. We may or may not know specific guidance and we may or may not go out with a new swagger to share the good news, but whether we do or not, we will uh, be pressing in to God's presence and showing that he is important to us and uh, we are important to each other and that prayer is a good thing to do. Can't promise you that the world will change because of prayer in any big noticeable way but I can promise you the world will change when we pray because we're not doing our own thing we are coming together I promise you that if you invest your time and effort it will be well invested it will be treasures in heaven type of thing we're coming together by saying we're important to each other because what God sees in each of us we're saying this community is, inv- is valuable and we believe prayer is important and that coming alongside others is good. And I guarantee that God will smile because of it. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you raised Haggai and he didn't need a rich or famous family, but that you used him for your own purposes. Lord God, I thank you that it doesn't matter what our family background is, that you can use us for your purposes, that your Holy Spirit uniquely qualifies us for whatever you have for us to do. And Heavenly Father, I pray that we would work hard at building your temple, not a bricks and mortar physical building, but the people of God, the community, the ecclesia, the church. And Heavenly Father, I pray, we ask, we long for, as we uh, give you our energy, we give you our time, as we give you our money. Heavenly Father, we we pray that, that, that you would build your church and that, Lord God, that we would know your presence and that you would shake this place, that you would shake and that you would bring us closer to you and that you would bring the lost into your presence. And Lord God, I thank you that just as you told Peter, the, the gates of hell won't prevail, that we get to invade those places where people are lost and we get to bring them into salvation. And all God's people said... Amen.